Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I am Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Luloyan. Matt, we're back. When was the last time we were together on the Liberty B-Side I Podcast? Just, I think just two weeks ago. Was it that long ago? Or oh. that not that long ago? <laughs> it feels like it was longer than that. I don't think it was that long, but it has felt like a long couple weeks. It has. So, yeah, because you you and Bob were uh, holding down the fort last week. All right, week. that was yeah. last week. And then it was just before that that you and I, I think were it was just before that. After Family Worship Sunday, we did one, right? I think uh, so. You and Bob had one. Oh, did we? Oh, that was it. So is it not two weeks in a row? Uh, Maybe it was. I thought we had like an either or off again, on again, off again. We have an on again, off again podcast relationship. Our relationship is on again and off again. It's complicated. It's complicated. You remember that old drop down on? Is it not there anymore on Facebook? It's complicated. It's complicated. The B side podcast relationship is complicated for us here at Liberty Church. That it is. But we are back. We're back. Hey, we are back. We're back, and the questions are back. And the questions, the questions are, back. are back. We've had questions the last couple of weeks. We have. Yep. But we had early in the somewhere a couple of weeks ago, maybe six to nine weeks ago, we mm-hmm. had this flurry of questions. All of a sudden, we're going, wow, wow, our podcast must be either terrible or great because we're getting all these questions. Yeah. Well, and we, of course, we're leaning into like the great. Or the sermons were terrible. Well, okay. Sorry, okay. <laughs> the podcast, the podcast is crap. The sermons. <laughs> The sermons were either terrible or great. We're going to lean into the great. Yeah. We're getting all these questions. And then it kind of died off a little bit. Mm. We stopped getting as many questions. Yeah. Which made us lean back into the sermons must be crap. Yeah. Idea. Listen. <laughs> just it, is a, it is an emotional roller coaster <laughs> to be host of the Liberty Side podcast. Monday mornings at Liberty is just a cry <laughs> fest. It's really what it is. If you guys show up here on Monday mornings, we are just morning... There's a lot of second guessing. We don't know if anybody likes us. It's just, yeah. I, I mean, Steve was just walking circles around the parking lot outside a moment ago, and I peeked my head out the window. So, I mean, we're just, we're all kinds of messy. I oftentimes there. walk in the church and find you looking into a mirror saying, you're good enough, smart enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Stuart Smalley. <laughs> That's right. Oh, good old Stuart Smalley. Good old Stuart. Well, hey, we're back in today. Uh, Matt, give us the 90-second summary of yesterday's sermon. We're still in the goodness of God. Yesterday was the goodness of God for sinners. Yes. thought it was a really good message. For anyone who saw the set, who was at the 1030, Michael Dolslager was the liturgist. He's my hype man, too. He's your hype man. Played hype man for a moment. I saw <laughs> the sermon in the 830. It's good, he said. I was just like, it's, it's kind of like, it's a captive audience. It's like, yeah. Would people, would people have left? He's like, eh. I mean, maybe. I'll give it a six. Yeah. It's six like, it's out a, of ten. It was okay. People would have left? Day. They might have. Okay. Well, I mean, people stayed. It's a key <laughs> foundation of our liturgist training. Make sure you're a good hype Hype for the this pastor. Day. Hype the sermon. Hype the speaker yeah. that day. He, okay. he wanted to wear a clock like Flava Flav. Is that what he wanted to do? I didn't let him. I didn't. That's, that was the real. That's the real. He didn't think anybody would. Man. You didn't think anybody would get that. How many people just got that joke? Oh, that's probably a limited give me, number. Give me, is, the, is the over under 50%? It's under. It's, it's under. We're at like 25% now. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yikes. I'm, I'm too young for some of our crew and I'm too old for the others. That's so right. there's only a, a sweet spot. Hence window. the staring in the mirror and the self pep talks. <laughs> Okay. I am my own hype man. <laughs> Give us the 90-second summary of yesterday's sermon on yep. goodness of God to sinners. 
Yeah, so First uh, John 2 is where we were yesterday. There's a lot of passages that we could look at to, to think about God's goodness at center, to sinners. The, the big picture idea being we're in a series about the goodness of God. If we're prone to miss like one thing in there, it's maybe this. It's maybe mm-hmm. that, that the highest and most ultimate expression of God's goodness is the way he interacts with sinners who don't deserve his mercy and grace, but he gives it anyway. And so there's a lot of passages, of course, in scripture that, that talk about that and talk about the beauty and worth of what Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. I love the first John 2 passage, and it connected to one of the chapters specifically in Gentle and Lowly, uh, at least the first couple verses of first John 2. Uh, connect to chapter nine of gentle and lowly. So I thought that'd be also a good way to dovetail these two, these two things that we're doing together, uh, in this season at Liberty. So, uh, two main tastes of the goodness of God that we see in that passage are advocacy that Jesus is our advocate when we sin and assurance. And John says a couple times there, by this, we may know that we are in Christ. And so we talked about advocacy and assurance. Uh, we talked about how Jesus advocates for us when we sin. Uh, a little bit of a difference, and we'll get into this in the questions in a moment, but as an intercessor for us, which of course he is that too, Hebrews 7, um, Jesus is always interceding, always pleading for us, uh, but there are specific situational moments, 1 John 2, where he advocates for us when we sin. Yeah, And then assurance, um, just even describing how it actually gets into a little bit the interaction between obedience and assurance, which is a fascinating one given that John has started talking about when we sin, we have an advocate. So how does that relate to assurance? How does that relate to obedience? And how are those things kind of all three connected? But that was um, that was where we were yesterday talking about God's goodness to, to sinners. It's great. Before we get into questions, yeah. a question just came to mind for me as you were saying that. Great. Why do you think that um, we tend to think less of God's goodness to sinners? You said that at the beginning. Yeah. Where, where you have in mind... Christians specifically, mm-hmm. like what, what, what was in your mind when you said that? Yeah, I think it's more natural when we hear the word goodness to more go to what are God's gifts that he gives mm-hmm. us? What are evidences of his kindness to us or to the wrestling we have with the goodness of God, which is not 100 mm-hmm. percent, but almost related to suffering. Sure. Not okay. sinning. Does that make sense? So, Or like, or like why? Why? Why do all these bad things happen? Yes. Like, why, why is the world full of corruption yes. and sadness? And yes, yeah, okay. I think most of the, most of the wrestling, the deep wrestling we do with God's goodness, is related to sinning and or sorry, is related to suffering. Yeah, and and those kinds of afflictions, those kind of bad things happening more broadly, and not that we. Yeah, I, I think in that sense we skip over how good God is to sinners. We just we we're, we're prone to miss that part of it, uh, which is where. You know, it felt like calling that out specifically in one of our weeks of uh, this series would be a helpful, helpful way to use it. Got it. Yeah. Let's jump into some questions. Okay. So we had two questioners, each with two questions. Man. Four questions total. Quick math. Here's the first one. You're just a scholar over I, here. I am. I bring it. <laughs> I bring it in the, in the podcast. Uh-huh. All right. So here's the first question. So our Bible study discussed advocacy from chapter nine. So this is gentle and lowly, right? Yep. In gentle and lowly. Yep. A couple there weeks were, ago. Yep. We got there are a few yep. things that we had questions about that were not specifically addressed in your sermon. So there's yep. like the sermon in the gentle and lowly Bible studies, like they're not meant to overlap completely, but we find some overlapping throughout. This one definitely did. This one had some overlap, yep. right? Maybe the weeks weren't exactly lined up, but they're close enough. Yep. And so here are the quotes. So here are some questions that cause some, some quotes that cause questions. Yep. On page 90, apparently he intercedes for us 
given our general sinfulness, but he advocates for us in the case of specific sins. This was page 90 referring to Christ. Yep. Page 91, sometimes we sin big sins, and that's what Christ's advocacy is for, is God's way of encouraging us not to throw in the towel. Oh, wait, it's, 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 it's God. Sorry, yeah. it's not a question. Yep. It's God's way of encouraging us not to throw in the towel. Page I'm, 91. I'm Ron Bergen. No, I'm Ron Bergen. <laughs> I'm a question. Okay, so those are the two quotes. Yeah. Here's the question. And yep. maybe this question actually only has one, a couple questions wrapped into one. So maybe not too specific. Okay. Let me read through these questions. How can sin be categorized into what is big versus not big? Mm. It comes across like when you really screw up, Christ will be there on your side. But for the smaller stuff, Christ is only interceding. Mm. We understand yeah. that he is trying to describe the difference between intercession and advocacy. But... Are they so intimately intertwined, it felt like he was drawing some lines that perhaps are too specific. What are your thoughts on that? So the big question here is, what's the difference between advocacy and intercession? Are there big sins and little sins? What do we do with some of these quotes that we found across pages 90 and 91? Yeah, these are great thoughts and great questions. So, um, So Dane Ortland's actually picking up a lot of the work of John Bunyan famous from Pilgrim's Progress, but also wrote a lot of other stuff that wasn't Pilgrim's Progress. And he has a quote in that's also included there in Gentle and Lowly about the difference between Christ as our priest and Christ as our advocate. Um, the, the actual book is called The Work of Jesus as an Advocate by John Bunyan. But he has a line in there. John Bunyan actually says this. This is on page 90. It's on page way. 90 also. Yep. Yes. Uh, Christ as priest continually intercedes. Christ as advocate in case of great transgressions pleads. So he makes the distinction between continually interceding and advocating in these times of what he calls great transgression. So there's the idea of like big sins versus little sins. Yeah. So I guess let's talk, let's maybe start with like the big sins versus not big sins. Uh, on the one level, all sin separates us from God. All sin is an offense to a holy God. The gap between perfection of holiness and imperfection is, is infinite. And therefore any sin is, is, is unholiness, right? Yeah. It's all it's all sin. So I think in in certain seasons in the in the history of the church, um, certain certain pockets of Christianity in every era, there's probably a, a tendency to create this crazy hierarchy of like as long as you avoid the big four, the big whatever, the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, you're fine. All the little sins mm-hmm. don't matter. And I think there's been necessary correctives that come uh, that say, hey, all sin is actually an affront to God, and if you are if you are banking on the fact, you know, even you think of like the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, all these things, things I've kept from my youth, mm-hmm. like I've done all the big, I've not, I've not done all of the, the big ticket sin. And Jesus says, okay, well, yeah, now, but you are dependent upon your wealth and it's become an idol for you. Go sell it all and follow me and he won't do it. Right. So I think that there, there's the corrective to the idea that we just can, can create a list of a few blockbuster technicolor sins. And as long yeah. as we avoid those, we're fine. Yeah. On the other side, um, for those of us that do acknowledge all sin is sin, all sin is an affront to God, uh, I think there, and it's, it's necessary to call this out at times too, there there are differences between sins. There are massive differences in the consequences um, that sin has, the ripple effects of it that it has in, in other people's lives and in your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are distinctions set up in scripture occasionally, like uh, specifically about sexual sin, how Paul says that's a sin against your own body. He, he kind of puts it in a little bit of a different category there. And he says, this is a, this is a different thing exactly from other kinds of sin. And even more subjectively, I would say, 
um, we, we know that there's a difference between certain kinds of sin. So like, what are the kinds of things that you would be comfortable talking about in your Bible study group right now? Mm -hmm. And what are the things that you've done in the past in your life that you're only going to share that if you share it ever with a couple people Sure. ever, <laughs> like it's going to be a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to be, it's something that carries so much shame. Right. It, it is considered by you and by other people socially or however else you would define that as something um, worse than the other kinds of sin that you might more readily confess. Right. Um, so I think in that sense, we probably would be kidding ourselves to, to say that all sin is sin. Um, and he, I mean, even the Ten Commandments aren't aren't a bad baseline for that. Like if you murder someone that there is a there is a sense that that is a more egregious sin than just hating someone in your heart. And I say just there very carefully. Mm -hmm. Like, But mm -hmm. I think we, we do know that there is a sense subjectively that, that this one thing is worse than the other. Sure. Um, not in terms of what it does in, to our relationship with God. It all separates us from God. Completely. Completely. That's right. Yeah. But you would not carry the same lifelong kind of shame about hating someone in your heart, even if you if you repented of it, that you would about murdering someone. Right. Sure. Like yeah. you, you just wouldn't. And so I think that's where, and, I, and that's where I think it's, it even is helpful to have this nuanced difference in scripture between intercession and advocacy. And even the way Bunyan and then Dane Ortland draws out and says, it's actually the worst of what you don't want to confess to other people. It's the stuff that's not, um, you know, quote unquote appropriate to share with your Bible study group. It's mm -hmm. like the over, like where you'd be concerned, like I can't entrust this to a group of people that are other Christians. They just, they wouldn't be able to handle that for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. It's that stuff that actually we see the depth of the goodness of God as an, as G when Jesus is our advocate. And those are the things where he's not continually doing that for us, the way he's interceding, but he's advocating occasionally. So I, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's, that's where my mind goes with that, yeah. that question there. Yeah. I think there, maybe it was just two weeks ago that we were getting on the, together on the podcast. I'm uh, re recollecting, um, or a conversation I think you and I had, it was you and I, not myself and Bob, okay. something of like, hey, the way he wrote that probably isn't the way. That was like the, the word most, win. The yeah, word win. that's he, right. He yep. wins, uh, like we, what is it? Our, our, it's our unloveliness that wins yes. his affection. Or that's right. Like that. That wasn't yep. that long yep. ago we discussed that. So I think on page 91, there, there is an aspect of the writing, you know, just picking that sentence out. Sometimes we sin big sins and that's what Christ's advocacy is for. Yeah, I think that could be, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to, I don't need to defend Ortland. I think, I think sure. it's easily misunderstood sure. what he means there. It's also probably not the most clear way of writing. Sure. That, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have written it that way myself, but I haven't written any books. So yeah. I got, I got, I haven't written anything yet, right? I haven't written yeah. anything myself. But um, there's an aspect there of Christ's advocacy is for all sin that yeah. I think Orland does say in other parts of the chapter, yep. even on page 89, yep. um, specifically in the paragraph there. And that's what 1 John 2 is reflecting. Like, yes. When is Christ our advocate? When, when we, we sin. sin. Yep. It's always that's the case. Yep. Now, is there something of the, I like the way you use the word shame. Yeah. Is there something of this great uh, satisfaction and peace and joy that we get knowing that Christ is our advocate, even when we sin largely? Yep. Well, yeah, there is. Yeah. There's also something that like we are instructed in and need to recognize yeah. to our humility. It's humbling for us to go, hey, you still need an advocate yep. when you sin something that's not. I would never say there's a small sin right. or a little sin. I would never say that. Yeah. I know that 
I would also say like there are sins that are like, hey, that's a big, that's a large sin based on a couple of categories. The amount of yep. shame it causes or the amount of ripple effect and consequence it has for you and for others. Yeah. Um, we know there's something that is greater in apostasy than 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 other sins. So sure. All all that to say, there's something humbling to go even when in these small sins, not yep, not the smaller relative. Yep. They're not in themselves in them themselves small. Yeah. You still need an advocate. Yep. Right. So I think that is clear. I think in Ortland's writing, but I I think that if you pick up a couple sentences, yeah. man, they're not written as clearly as they sure. could be. Sure, I and and I and this whole chapter, what it led me to, I don't think he quoted this in that chapter, but there's a great passage in the Old Testament that for me has become um, what you might call like a fighter verse, which hmm. is like in these moments when you sin in a way that you are just really ashamed of. So like I'm confessing sin daily for for ways that I've had uncharitable thoughts about people, for ways that I've not proactively loved my wife and my kids for the ways that I've gotten angry at them for the ways that I've, you know, neglected to show kindness or love to someone when I had the opportunity to like, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And God forbid I ever look at those as being insignificant or, or miss the beauty of Jesus advocating for me in that or interceding for me overall in my life. I always want to see the beauty of that, but there are, and this is like, this is street. This is, here's like street level, street level theology. Let's let's like, let's you know, to the street. I think if you said to an average person in our church or not, hey, what are, you know, think about some of the big sins you've committed. I think everybody would have an answer for that. Yeah. I think everybody would like, there's just a, subjectively, you've got a thought in your head that goes, okay, I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean now. Sure. Um, And that's not the, we shouldn't limit our understanding of our sin to those things. Um, But we, we would know what those are. And this is, I think this Micah 7, 7 through 9 passage is a great passage to go to. It actually, I think, embodies the, like, what does Jesus' advocacy sound like? I think it sounds a little like this. This is the person, this is Micah, you know, praying on behalf of like God's people. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. And you have in a yeah. moment here where Mike is saying something major's happened. Yeah. I, I'm forgetting con- contextually what that is in Micah, what he's writing about. But he's, I know he's writing pre the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel to Assyria. So it's probably that. It's, that's, it's probably something related to that that he's, that he's writing about. But he's saying... Don't rejoice over me, Satan. Don't you know? In this, or in this case, his other enemies. But don't rejoice over me. I will rise. I you know I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've, there, there is discipline that comes from our heavenly Father when we sin against Him. But God is also one who pleads our cause, who executes judgment for us. That's yeah. the advocacy. Yeah. He steps toward us, not away from us. Yeah. He will bring me out to the light. I will look upon His vindication. I think you need passages like this, particularly in those more egregious, big quote unquote. Um, sins because you experience such a different level of subjective burden, shame, yeah. sorrow, frustration, guilt, sense of distance from Jesus, like all of those, like all of that stuff you, yeah. you experience on the, on the big sins. Yeah. So anyway, it's yeah. good. Let's jump to our next question. Yeah. Different questioner. All right. So this question, I'm reading their question flows from discussion. Our Bible study had, as we discussed gentle and lowly, and it also connects with your sermon yesterday. 
There you go. So during your sermon, there you go. A connection <laughs> with your sermon. What? Who would have thought? All right. So during your sermon and also in the chapters in Gentle and Lowly that talked about Christ in his role as an intercessor and advocate. Right. Yep. So continuing this theme here. Yep. The focus was specifically on him serving in those roles on our behalf in relation to our sin. Mm. Obviously, that is the most important aspect of his work. But does he also intercede or advocate for us in our suffering, discouragement, and uncertainty? In the day-to-day of life, would it be encouraging to know that Christ is also pleading on our behalf in those circumstances? Or is that the work that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us does? Great question. So, you know, in summary, is Jesus's intercession and advocacy only related to our sin or is it also related to our suffering? Sure. Does he intercede yeah. and advocate Good for summary. us as our yep. suffering? Good summary. Yes. Okay. So um, <laughs> I did a very cursory dive into shallow some, dive. Some, a shallow, shallow dive. dive. You're careful with those. Very careful. If you see you four, foot, you see four, four yeah. foot in the depth, can't dive. You don't dive. dive. Okay. So maybe no diving. But no So just a quick exploration. Maybe that's a better word. Um into some of the word study here. So, and here's what I'm seeing in scripture from what, from everything I can see. Uh, this is particularly doing like a new Testament search here. Um, the words intercession and advocacy do apply in scripture more to our sin. Those are roles that Jesus has and the Holy spirit has both, both are called advocate more. The Holy spirit is called advocate than, than, um, than Jesus. It, they're both called intercessors as well. Um, and mo- almost all, almost all of the references uh, relate to our sinfulness and that, and that we, they're interceding for us and they are advocating for us as sinners, not as sufferers. Yep. The one place that maybe there's a blurry line there would be Romans 8, where it talks about how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And the next passage talks about the Holy Spirit is an intercessor that pleads for us with groanings too deep for words. Mm-hmm. So I think in, that, in the whole context of that, talking about creation is longing for redemption, uh, eagerly awaiting the adoption of the sons of God. We're, we're like, we're, we're longing for the reversal of all of sin's effects. And a lot of that would be suffering and affliction that we experience. So I think if you look at Romans eight, there is a sense, and actually this questioner put it here too, is that the work of the Holy spirit dwelling in us? I think if you want to use the idea of intercession specifically, um, for suffering, it's probably a little bit safer based on the Romans 8 passage to say that's something that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy mm. Spirit intercedes and pleads for us with groanings too deep for words, not only as sinners, but when we are suffering too, when we are weak, when we are experiencing the weight and the burden of sin's effects in our suffering, not not sin itself and its consequence, you know, not sin, not the guilt of our own sin. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> that's what I would say. Now, here's the, now, so like, Maybe that's not the answer that that this group or this person was hoping for. Um, in I don't that, know. I, I don't know if they were looking. I, I can't. Yeah. I didn't tell them the question what they were looking for. Well, saying other than clarity, just saying more here in the day to day of life, it'd be encouraging to know that Christ is pleading on our behalf in those circumstances. Mm. So, I don't see in the New Testament Christ pleading on your behalf in those circumstances. However, there is something I think equally as incredible for sufferers that Jesus is doing, and it's. It's twofold. Um, you read like in places like Philippians three, that Jesus is inviting you into the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah. That there's actually, um, it's almost like the inverse of like an elite club. Like, you know, like it's the club that it's the club that like on the surface level, you wouldn't ever want to get into. But Paul actually, when he actually sees the gospel clearly in Philippians three, and he says, Oh, that I would even be able to share in Jesus's sufferings that I might also share in the glory of his resurrection. Mm -hmm. There's actually a, um, 
there's a subjective kind of communion and fellowship with Jesus that deepens as you suffer. Mm-hmm. So you are, um, you, you know, Jesus and you commune with Jesus. Um, this isn't like an identity changing thing. Like positionally you're in Christ, no matter how much you suffer or don't suffer in your life as you suffer. And even people that suffer just immensely in an ongoing way, they are, I think invited by Jesus into a deeper kind of fellowship, a different kind of subjective experience of what it means to, to know Christ in his sufferings Mm -hmm. than people that don't suffer a whole lot in their lives. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. And then you've got, you know, passages that Paul writes like in, in, um, in second Corinthians chapter one, where it's, he's blessing God, who's the God of all comfort. And he says, God comforts us in all our affliction, all our suffering, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then the next passage, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, Mm -hmm. so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Yeah. So, you aren't given the language in the new Testament of like interceding and advocacy, but you're given a lot of language of comfort, a lot of language of fellowship, um, a lot of language of like that communing with Jesus at a deep, at a deep way, because he's gone through, he's gone through infinite suffering um, for us. And you know him and know, know that in a unique way when you suffer. Yeah. I find it to be, I, I think it's really well said. And I find it to be something that if it's, if it's, if it's, if any one of us would be prone to have it come across as convoluted, I think the more you get into it, the more rich it actually comes across that mm-hmm. there, there's this, um, the work being done by the spirit who's sent mm-hmm. from God and Christ reflecting also that Christ is interceding for us. Like it's by, it's by Christ's intercession that we receive the spirit. Yeah. And so yeah. then by the spirit, we receive all this comfort. Yeah. Well, where's the comfort come from? Well, it comes from Christ. So it's not convoluted. But it actually they they work in harmony together because mm-hmm. even in Romans eight, that when you said the the Spirit helps us in our weakness, yeah. verse twenty six, um, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Well, at the end of Romans eight is when we hear about like like if God is yeah. for us, who can be against us? And all things working together for good. That's right. Yep. And so you have and how can God be for us? Well, he who did not spare his own son, mm-hmm. right? And we see how that worked out, right? Yeah. How will he not also graciously give to us all things? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, we have the same experience in our sufferings. Mm-hmm. We can have confidence and be comforted in what's to come of this because we see what happened with Christ and in his suffering, right? Right. If God did not spare Christ from glory, how would he spare anything from us? Yep. But then we read that, you know, Christ, like we're not condemned because Christ, who's the one who died and was raised, he's interceding for us. Mm-hmm. And then, well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, how is, how do we not have that separation? By the work of the spirit being sent yeah. to us. Yep. So there's this like richness, Totally. you know, um, the more we look at it and dissect it and learn about it, the more, the more we see. But I agree that there's like, there's a lot of comfort. Yep. There's more comfort in suffering. Yeah. That comes. And there's and there are some blurry lines between the different persons of the Trinity in this too. Yeah, like you've got like, you know, the word advocates used five times uh, in the New Testament. The only one that relates to Jesus is the one we looked at yesterday, First John two. The other are all about the Holy Spirit. Both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are listed as intercessors or, or mentioned as intercessors <clears throat> in the in the New Testament. Um, and even comfort, you've got. In Second Corinthians, you've got the God of all comfort. That's the Father. You've got Jesus comforting you. 
And you've got the Spirit, who was also called the Comforter, the high priestly prayer. Somewhere between John 14 and 17, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. So you've got, you know, so so in these, there are distinct roles that that each person of the Trinity uh, play in our salvation. But then there's also these these overlapping roles um, as it relates to sinners and sufferers and how how our, our triune God responds to, relates with, communes with um, people um, that overlap. So I think yeah. that's, that's a fascinating part of this too. It's like you, you like open this up and you're like, wow, this is, it, it has for me, I mean, even the, just the idea of the advocate and looking at that last week specifically opened up an appreciation for um, the, the mystery and complexity of the Trinity and like the way that the Trinity interacts with us in that. So yeah. that was, that was a kind of a side sidebar there. The next question from the same questioner. Okay. So during the portion of your sermon that covered how our assurance should fuel our obedience, you used a downward spiral, upward spiral illustration. And as you said, the idea that obedience, as you said, the idea that obedience contributes to our assurance in Christ seems counterintuitive, as it would seem to lead to a greater sense of self-reliance. Right? The more we obey, the more we maybe reliance on the fact that we're obeying. Yep. So could you go over the illustration again, as I think that would be a helpful way to grasp how assurance can lead us toward obedience and then even greater assurance? Yeah. So Jermaine, just roll through that again. Yeah. So, yeah. So the downward spiral would be, you know, when we sin, we advocate for ourselves. When we advocate for ourselves, we stop short of trusting the fullness of God's goodness. We don't actually. Are you saying in our sin we're prone to advocate for ourselves? That's like this is the nation of our flesh. This is what the downward spiral would look like. Is if we do advocate for ourselves, then we're actually not trusting the fullness of God's goodness. We're trying. It's like the rope analogy, right? We're trying to help hold ourselves up by advocating for ourselves. Yeah. When we don't trust the goodness of God that actually leads us to move further away from him and obedience. Like we don't want to be near the actual standard if we, if we're like not living up to it and we're, and we think we have to advocate for ourselves when we don't. Right. So we move away from obedience. We move away from walking in the way Jesus walked. That's the the first John two language there. And we lower the bar of God's standard. When we lower the bar of God's standards, we're actually, because we're moving away from obedience, then, then we're also foregoing these tastes of assurance by, by stepping into obedience and, and experiencing assurance there. That's the downward spiral. The upward spiral, of course, is the opposite. When we sin, we actually trust Jesus as our advocate. We repent of our sin, but we go, you know what? Jesus is advocating for me in this. There is grace for me in this, in spite of the fact that I'm a sinner. And we learn as we trust him as our advocate, we learn more and we experience more of the fullness of his goodness to sinners. As we do, and we, we, we actually trust him, now we move closer to him, closer. We keep the, the, the standard of his holiness in place. We don't minimize our sin. And as we then step closer and more into obedience, that's what fuels the, the mm-hmm. further examples of assurance. So that's mm-hmm. the upward spiral. Yep. So... And then this, you know, this person's question is, is good and right. It's like, isn't that counterintuitive? Because it means, wouldn't it mean that um, that would lead to a greater sense of self-reliance that, that we have to obey in order to experience assurance? So I guess what John sets up here, right? First John 2, there's the, it, the, 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 the cycle is assurance fuels obedience and obedience fuels more assurance. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a chicken and the egg conundrum of which one comes first assurance comes first. <laughs> like, like if you're, if you want to do this and not be reliant upon yourself or try to be reliant upon yourself, yeah, then it's not a mystery. It's not a conundrum of like chicken or the egg. It's like assurance is first. Sure. Trust that, that trust that you belong to Christ because of his work and his advocacy, then obey out of that right. as a response to that. 
and then allow your obedience to just keep fueling more assurance that this actually is you, that you right. actually are in Christ. Right. If you look at it as like, I don't know which one comes first, um, that's when you'll fuel self-reliance, advocating for yourself. If you start with obedience. Right. And you'll, you know, you'll, and it's also the line, you know, that we sing sometimes, like, if you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. You just, you'll never, right. you'll never come. So you get, so you start with assurance, <clears throat> let that, let that move you into obedience and then let your obedience just fuel more and more assurance. Sure. And, is, and is that the, I don't know if it's the heart of or the foundation of it. Like when we see it throughout all of the history of the church and in our current day where legalism comes up, it's like, oh yeah, this over-reliance on obedience. That's. I think so. I think I think obedience can get a bad rap, um, and all obedience can be kind of written off as legalism. People get too freaked out by that idea. I'm picturing like obedience personified, like in an alley, just like alone, <laughs> dejected. By, just dejected, like nobody likes me. <laughs> nobody likes obedience. <laughs> okay. No, I, I um, and that, that's where I think and that's where I love the paradigm of First John two. Steve is like it. It is actually this whole. This whole upward spiral, this whole cycle, it's, it, it actually is there for us to experience more assurance. Like, mm, do you, yeah. like, think of a person that you know that's walking around. Like, would anyone like less assurance that they actually mm. are in Christ and that your eternity is so secure in him that nothing is going to take you out of Jesus' hand? Like, mm. is anyone is anyone like too full of assurance right now that you're sure. like, hey, back yeah. off a little bit? You're like, the only people that are that way are people that like are being com- presumptive on like they're not even walking with jesus yeah, that's the sure. only that's the only people that that are that act that way um different problem for a, in different conversation for a different day but like everyone myself it's concluded you and i have talked about this too steve like we like we all would would live more faithful joyful loving lives mm-hmm. for other toward other people too if we had a deeper sense of assurance and there's mm-hmm. such a gift held out to you that you can have that assurance yeah you how you already do have it because it's Jesus's work and not yours. Um, you can have that assurance, but it does it does involve your a- active obedience, your active response to the assurance you've already have and to, yeah. to what Jesus has already held out to you. Yeah. And so, like, man, if you're keeping it in the right spot, if you're not starting with obedience and trying to gain assurance just by your own efforts, um, man, like obedience is fantastic. Like, you, like. And needed, and, and it's yeah. part of this. It's part of this. Yeah, it doesn't leave the equation. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so I, that's where I think obedience gets a bad rap. It's like, um, yeah. And when you sin, when you don't obey, you have an advocate, Jesus yep. Christ the righteous, and that that's supposed to get you right back into assurance. Yep. Let me get start back. Let me start pursuing obedience again. Like yep. that's supposed to put you right back into the into that circle, that upward yep. spiral. It's great. That's good. Well. Um, Thank you for questions, everybody. Um, I am anticipating a flurry of questions next week as Matt was not clear on which comes first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> and so uh, the phones are lighting up right now. Um, Darn it. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Uh, so, hey, bring in questions every week as you have them. Just a couple weeks yet of this. Yeah. I've got two weeks. Three weeks? Uh, Three. Two weeks. Two. Just two more weeks yep. in June. And then we're, then we're wrapping up the Goodness of God series. Right. So we will do a Goodness of God to Sufferers. Yes. That's coming up in two weeks. Uh, this next week is going to be called God's Goodness and Ours. So there's two weeks left. Two weeks left. Two weeks. This upcoming Sunday. Yeah, and one more. And then one more. Okay. Yep. And then we move into our next sermon series. Yeah. Bible studies will probably actually be wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. Yep. At least the um, formal kind of content The formal, stuff, sure. yep. The gentle and lowly. Yep. Uh, connect with your Bible study leader if, they've, if they have not already made clear 
when you're finishing Gentle and Low, you're just kind of moving into summer rhythms, whether you're meeting or not. Yep. Uh, but bring more questions on the B-side. Thanks for listening to us this week. Enjoy the rest of the week. We will see you again soon, hopefully on Sunday for sure. Yep. We'll see you then, everyone. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.